Hello and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Chris Hattori, a producer here at EdSurge. Swapping VHS tapes for YouTube is probably not the ideal version of moving a classroom into the 21st century. And while this type of digital substitution may be engaging and tick the boxes of frameworks like SAMR, it doesn't always provide an opportunity for deep thinking and real-world learning. So how do teachers actually create meaningful work and allow students real agency in a 21st century classroom? We talked with Dr. Scott McLeod, author of Harnessing Technology for Deeper Learning, to learn how his Four Shifts protocol can help educators test their practices and pedagogy to support the goals of learning in the digital age. Hi, I'm Betsy Corcoran. I'm CEO and co-founder of EdSurge, and I am delighted to be here on the EdSurge podcast with Dr. Scott McLeod. Dr. McLeod is an associate professor of education leadership at the University of Colorado in Denver, and most importantly, the author of a new book. It's called Harnessing Technology for Deeper Learning, and it comes out of years of research that he has been doing on how you use technology in the classroom. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks. So, Scott, talk a little bit about why you did this book and what we really learned from it. So, I think one of the things we're seeing with schools is that a number of school systems now have these lofty 21st century learning mission and vision statements, initiatives, and so on. They're outlining new graduate competencies. They want their students to be critical thinkers and problem solvers and communicators and collaborators and globally fluent this. and Got big goals here. Yeah, big goals, right? And, and new, new goals for school systems beyond sort of... Reading, uh, writing, arithmetic. Factual recall and procedural mm-hmm. regurgitation, right? And then we started mixing in some of the social-emotional learning and some of this other stuff. Like, it was all kinds of sort of newer conversations and desired outcomes. Um, the challenge is translating that into day-to-day practice, right? And so I do a lot of work with schools all around the world. And, you know, I see in numerous places where they have these wonderful, visionary, forward-thinking mission statements and visions. Uh, and then you walk into the classroom and it looks pretty much like it did... 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So take me into a school. Take me into a school that you've seen and how, again, that distance between sort of what they hope to do, but what the practice actually is, how that becomes evident. Yeah. Well, you know, we still see a lot of traditional practice. So you're walking down the halls of a school and you'll see a lot of teacher up front driving the learning rather than student-directed learning. There might be might be teacher lecture, might be textbook-driven work. We do a lot of digital substitution, so a lot of schools think they're doing more future-ready work simply because they insert technology into the process, but it's basically just the digital counterparts to the analog work, right? So the teacher used to lecture up front with a chalkboard. Now they're doing that with a $3,000 interactive whiteboard. You used to hand out a paperwork sheet. Now you're downloading a document in Google Docs and typing into it and submitting it back to your teacher in Google Classroom or whatever, right? Like, you know, we used to watch uh, VHS tapes on the television. Now we're watching a YouTube video. So the pedagogy hasn't changed that much. And so the technologies that we see taking off in most schools are the ones that most closely replicate traditional instructional practice because of the ones that we can latch onto the most easily. They're the ones that disrupt our teaching and learning the least. Right. So there's this theory called SAMR, which is substitution, augmentation, modification, modification and then finally renovation. or uh, <laughs> right. right. Basically replication and transformation. Yeah. Right. So there is this idea that, okay, we have to kind of climb up a scale, 
But isn't it hard to climb up that scale? Do people know? How do you move from, okay, I'm using my whiteboard just like that chalkboard, as you said, the substitution part. How do you move from that to actually starting to be more thoughtful about what this means? Right. Well, the challenge with SAMR, which is sort of the dominant framework for K-12 schools right now, is that it's a technology continuum, not a learning continuum. Say more. What does that mean? So in other words, the highest level of SAMR means that you're using technology to do things you couldn't otherwise do before. But you can do that and it still be low-level learning. So let's take an activity like Mystery Skype, for example. Mystery Skype is an activity where two classrooms that don't know where each other is try to guess each other's location doing yes or no 20-question type questions, right? So that's actually not very deep learning, right? You just spend, fun. It's fun and it's engaging. And the technology allows you to connect to that other classroom somewhere else in real time, which you couldn't do before. So right. it's high on the SAMR. But ultimately, you just spent 50 minutes and you spent 50 to 60 kids time guessing each other's location. So let's take that activity. Can we make that activity a deeper learning experience or is is that one a bit of a dead end? No, we can. And that's what the book is all about, right? So the book introduces our four shifts protocol. And the idea behind the protocol is that if you want deeper learning to happen, if you want student agency to happen, if you want authentic work to happen, if you want rich technology infusion to happen as a lever to make those first three things you know, occur, that the protocol can maybe help us accomplish that. So we would take the mystery Skype activity, for example, and we would look at the deeper learning section and we would ask the questions in there as diagnostics. And we would say, for example, what evidence do we have? We always focus on claims and evidence. So if you're going to say that critical thinking is present in this activity, where is it? If you're going to say that metacognition is present in this activity, where is it, right? So the deeper learning section of the protocol has a collection of questions that you can ask yourself as diagnostics and then say, if we're trying to make deeper learning happen in this activity, where is it? And if it's not there, can we start redesigning toward those? And so to be clear, this is what the the teacher who's ever Mm -hmm. designing the the protocol they're going to use, that's what that person is asking themselves as they design that lesson plan. Yes, and hopefully with some colleagues or an instructional coach or a principal or tech integrationist or somebody that can bounce some ideas around, right? right? So the idea was that we run down this set of questions in the deeper learning section about mystery Skype and see that most of our questions are answered no, right? No, 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 no. And the question is, what if we wanted a couple of those to be yes? How could we redesign this activity to get there? So now all of a sudden we would do things like instead of them asking each other yes or no questions, we would maybe have them collaborate on shared issues in their communities, right? So now all of a sudden they're doing collaborative problem solving rather than merely guessing each other's location. Oh, so that's really interesting. So again, we're just to To reframe that, so in other words, whereas Mystery Skype is entirely focused on the question of where are you, and I'm going to ask you yes or no questions, Mm -hmm. yes, you have oak trees, no, you don't have oak trees, things like that. Instead, I might be asking a series of questions of maybe around, you know, what's the water like in your community, or what's an example of a question? No, so we would actually have an authentic, meaningful dialogue with the other class instead of just asking them yes or no questions, and we would identify some shared problems that both of our communities have, and then we would get to work on those, right? And maybe collaborative work teams that spanned both classrooms. So now I've got two kids in classroom A working with two classroom, two kids in classroom B, right? And they're working on, say, how can we address water quality issues in our community? And then two other kids in classroom A are working with three other kids in classroom B. And their issue is how do we decrease the number of people who are hungry in our community? Whatever. Like, it's like meaningful work. It's meaningful right? work. So, yeah. so the transformation in this, in this example would be, let's don't just guess your location 
communication. Let's actually work together on meaningful work, right? So we transform the task to something that's more authentic. Fascinating. So you said there are four shifts that you talk about. Can you just tell us quickly what those shifts are? Yes. So one of them is the shift from recall and regurgitation to deeper learning or higher level learning. So that's what we were just talking yeah. about. The second shift would be the shift from uh, teacher and system directed work to more student agency, where students have the opportunity to have more control and ownership of their own learning path. So they really become those lifelong learners we say we want. The third shift is around authenticity of the work. So instead of being isolated, disconnected classrooms, how do we connect kids to the real world around them, locally, globally, digitally, whatever, so that they stop asking us why they need to know things and why they need to care about things that we ask them to do, because now they see those connections and those meaning, the meaning and relevance. And then the fourth shift is the shift from analog to digital. And that's important of itself because our information landscape is so different these days. But it's also important because you can do deeper learning work and do more authentic work and give kids agency with tech in ways that you simply can't with analog spaces. And you've developed these ideas through your work with schools. How, how many schools have you been in? Hundreds, thousands. Hundreds? Okay, yeah. how about the last year, maybe? Yeah, dozens to hundreds in the last year. Yep, schools all around the world. And tell me one story that you've seen, perhaps one school that you've worked with that has made this journey. What were they like and where did they go? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite schools is called Iowa Big. It's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And what they do is students spend half their day at Iowa Big and half, their day, half the day at their mothership high school. And when they're at Iowa Big, they're working on projects that come from their community. So local nonprofits or government agencies, local companies who basically say, we have things that we want to get done, projects that we want to accomplish, we could use some help with. And then they put high school youth on them. And it's in this amazing place where kids are redesigning schools with local architects. They're building aquatic drones. They're creating utensils for amputees. They're creating the community's first entrepreneurship conference for girls and women. I mean, just all these sort of authentic community projects where the youth basically get a chance to do real world work side by side with people in the community as a complement to their more ordinary school experiences at their mother's of high school. Last question is, how does this work from a teacher's point of view? We've heard a lot of talk recently about, you know, there are teachers who jump into this and they can't wait to do this. This is why they got into teaching. And then there are teachers who think, oh my God, you know, this is a lot of work. I'm changing all my practices. Do I really need to go down this path? Tell me a little bit about what you've seen, the, the, the spectrum of teachers and in teacher engagement that you've seen in this kind of work. Right. I think we always have a few teachers that are ready to jump in immediately and go. I think you have a, that next group of teachers which might be interested but doesn't know how. And then, of course, you have the small group of skeptics that isn't very interested at all. I think the biggest challenge for teachers is really around the dynamic of agency. More than anything else, that seems to be the sticking point is that we do not want to give up control and hand it over to our students. And so the work of Desi and Ryan tell us that the number one factor in human motivation is autonomy. It's sort of control and ownership and agency over what you do. And we violate that on an hourly basis in every school, almost every school everywhere. And so this idea that we have to be able to turn things over to kids and let them drive their learning and make mistakes and because it's part of the process instead of controlling everything so tightly. And we just have these like freakish control needs in our classrooms, in our schools, where we're unwilling to let our students actually drive their own learning process. But when we do, it's always, always amazing. 
Fantastic. Scott, thank you so much for talking with us about your book, Harnessing Technology for Deeper Learning. I'll also share with our readers, it's not a long book. It's a short book, but almost a manual. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks, Betsy. This has been the EdSurge On Air podcast. Each week we talk about the intersection of learning and technology. Please subscribe and leave a like for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This episode was edited by me, Chris Hattori, and produced by Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening.